Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Ken Lavin and Thomas Henderson. How you guys doing? Good, good. Oh, I'm pretty good. Are you? Wow, it's good. I think we Uh, know why. Yeah, well, we have a very jam-packed show today, so I'm just going to skip over promote extend trade. And we all were going to do our individual top 200 Mets prospect list because it is episode <laughs> 200. But, you know, again, very busy week. So unfortunately, we're going to have to skip over the top 200 prospect lists. And I was looking forward personally to hearing whatever ludicrous arguments someone could have for ranking Chase Chambers over Anthony DeRossier or how someone could think that Jose M. Medina is a better prospect than Jose C. Medina, but <laughs> that's, you know, content for another day, I guess. Sending Luis Carpio way up the boards for me. Oh, hell yeah. He's gang affiliated, baby. <sighs> well, the Mets had themselves a very busy week with the winter meetings and, and everything. And you would think that the winter meetings and everything that went on there would be the lead, but, Somehow it's not. <laughs> um, early 
early in the wee hours of the morning, or I guess late Saturday night. Honestly, I don't really remember, but it was reported and then confirmed that Kodasenga had agreed to terms with the Mets on a five-year, $75 million contract, full no-trade clause, um, opt-out after three years. So the Mets have a new top prospect, technically. <laughs> Maybe even a, a new number one top, top, top prospect, you know, TBD. But, wow. Um, I mean, I heard like you know the Mets were interested they should be interested every team should have been interested obviously and I heard that there was some mutual interest back which okay cool but I don't know I guess we're desensitized to thinking like yeah it's not going to happen given the the Mets's history over the last decade or so you know scouting and signing players from Japan and Korea and Taiwan to a lesser degree and wow this, this this happened. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's it's like awesome for like 400 different reasons, honestly. Like this is the first time they've been in this market since like Hideki, not Hideki Matsui, Kaz Matsui, and like it feels kind of like you could see how players coming from Japan would now look at the Mets as a place they want to be at because of the. A desire to win and they're always they're usually older like Senga's 29 he's not 22 he's not going to go to some rebuilding team to figure it out you know what I mean like he wants to win now and he he's won five Japan series championships it's not like he's adverse to winning like the dude knows what a winning organization should look like and then he chose the Mets and that's like so weird <laughs> Thomas <laughs> right. are you saying he wants to win now not five years from now <laughs> exactly exactly and unfortunately maybe billy upler understands that now but because he didn't understand it at the deadline but i, wonder I don't how know it's just, is up yeah right <clears throat> it's just it's very cool to see the mets be in this part of the be in this part of the market because they really never were and now they have a new number three starter who could be a top of the rotation guy and that's great. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Henry here. Uh, I know he was in the Red Sox system for a while, but he's no longer affiliated with them. He's pitching in the independent leagues in Mexico. Bring him home. He's only 32. Somehow. That's shocking. <laughs> oh, yeah, he came up really young, right? Yeah, 19, yeah. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, um, you said before, Senga is no stranger to winning. Um, the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks won 2015, 16, 17, and 18. Four years in a row. Or excuse me, I think they won 2015, then they skipped 2016, and then 17, and 18, 17 19, 20. through 20. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a winning ball club. Um, and it's it's a good spot for him too because like he doesn't have to be he could come over and transition to life here and not be the guy he'll be the Mets number three starter. Mm-hmm. That's an an underrated part too is yeah no one is he he's not gonna be expected to automatically jump into the deep end and just dominate you know yeah and if he does great but. If he... And it's definitely possible. It's yeah, yeah. 
it's more that like it's nice to have him be able to worry about like there's a lot of the team's going to be very good so he's going to be able to like transition and really get his feet wet in the states because it's a different life even his like everyday life he's going to be doing things totally different mm-hmm. so i mean yeah we are very hyped for Senga because he is just he is a good pitcher um good fastball you know it sits in like the mid 90s and can hit the upper limits of the 90s and has occasionally even touched 100 on occasion um he throws it and has a a flat vertical approach i believe that is the new uh in thing so you know gets a lot of deception um he complements it with a fork ball that has been, you know, deemed the ghost fork because it is it is very good and it just kind of falls off the table. Um, then he has a whole slew of other pitches. You know, he throws a slider, a cutter, a curveball, basically the whole uh, breaking ball continuum. And you know, it's it's all of those pitches are average. The fork ball is above average probably plus and the fastball is you know average to above average so that's a lot of good parts the one issue is though his command is kind of spotty um but you know whatever yeah, you, you could work around that Mhm. i mean a lot of guys that kind of is their game is they don't directly attack hitters they just throw the little kitchen sink at them and they get the hitters to get themselves out by going after pitches that they think they can hit. So I am a little worried though. Senga dealt with elbow tightness early this year. The fork ball puts a lot of stress on your shoulders and your elbow when you, you know, snap it off good. And he didn't throw it a lot in Japan. And you know in the U.S., since it is his best pitch, they're going to say, well, throw this pitch because it's your best pitch. You know, it just makes sense. I'm worried that those things and the slightly larger, slightly heavier ball that's used here in the U.S. as opposed to in Japan are going to lead to injuries. Tommy Jones. I mean, is it is it any like more of a risk than your average pitcher? You know? Like uh, just because these- there's just because of the history. Sure. He's a guy that for his entire career he's dealt with little nagging things. He's only really had two kind of major injuries. He had a sho- a big shoulder issue that basically kept him out of the first half of 20, excuse me, the second half of 2013 I think it was and then the second half uh, first half of 2014. And then he had um, in 2021, he he um, hurt a ligament in his ankle and that kept him off the field for about three months. I mean, those two things are both kind of like freak injuries, you know, especially the ligament thing. Yeah, the he basically, is... he went diving for a, a comebacker and he ripped up a ligament in his in his foot. So that's, you know, you can't really... That's just like baseball stuff that happens. Right, that's just baseball stuff. But, you know, shoulder issue, like, well, okay, really are not, it's not really something that's lingered. But elbow issues, you know, that is something that 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 worries me a little bit. But, you know, if, it happens, you. if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, like you can't. And, and 
the last you know Japanese pitcher to come from Japan and threw a splitter, Masahiro Tanaka. He did in the end uh, have you know uh, elbow issues. So yeah, but he never had surgery for it, right? And he no, yeah, it was, that was, it was, was fine. It was pretty crazy. He he opted to just rehab instead of getting Tommy John, and he was able to pitch through it. So like yeah. I get what you're saying, that he's a bit of an injury risk, but I don't think it's really anything much more significant than your average pitcher. Yeah, it's I not mean, like he's had like it's not like a Jamison Tyon situation where he had like two Tommy Tommy Johns before he was thirty and we're like, oh <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like This could be problematic. Yeah. That's the that that's the thing that I feel a little better about, and hopefully the Mets are just smarter. The Mets seem to be smarter with injuries in general. Um this past year, they didn't really push guys when they were hurt. They let them, they let them rehab when they needed to. Like the, the the Scherzer stuff with Scherzer not telling the team about his oblique, and then they once they realized once he was hurt, they took him out and let him rehab, and he was fine when he came. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this isn't the Wilpon Mets either, where they're not being like, oh, you're fine. Rub some dirt in it, kid, and go out there. Like the, it <laughs> seems to be we're we're getting to the point where the Mets are smarter about this stuff too. So, mm-hmm. which is helpful. So Senga is technically a prospect. You know, he, he has never played in major league baseball, thrown it, thrown an inning in a major league baseball game. So he is technically a prospect. Um, we had a very quick informal poll, like when he was signed in the middle of the night last night. And we all basically unanimously agreed that he is the Mets number two prospect. Behind yeah. Francis, behind Francisco Alvarez. I think you can make the case for one if you're trying to be spicy, because he 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 has is a top performer in a actual professional league, and it's better than any league Alvarez has ever played in. Even though Alvarez played in the majors, but like for a little bit, I'm like right, significant right. time. Um, Alvarez MPB is way better than AAA. Obviously, it's like a like it's a professional league. It's a real league. There's obviously flaws to it, but it's still a higher performance level. But also, I don't know. He's 29. <laughs> he's not a prospect. Right. I, I I was thinking about it. Like, if if you wanted to just be completely objective, I think you would have to say that Senga is the number one prospect just because he literally has right. you know, over like, a thousand innings and a, he literally has a almost a sub. He does have a sub three ERA in over a thousand innings, but he almost has a sub two fifty ERA in, in over a thousand innings with, you know, uh, more than ten strikes per nine. But you know, I don't know. We can't do that to Francisco Alvarez like that. You know, he's. It also guy. feels like he doesn't feel like a prospect because then he would be like the number one prospect in baseball. Like if you really want to, like, like go further down the rabbit hole of that, it would be him, and then. Tim and Exactly. Because these guys are already professionals in that sense. Like minor league players are professionals too, but MPB is a is the is the major leagues of Japan. Like there's no higher level in that country unless you come here, which they did. So it's gonna it's just gonna be very funny when he wins rookie of the year and everyone's (laughs) like, bro, he's (laughs) thirty. Hey, never too young or never too old. So yeah, that was uh, that was an exciting last minute thing. 
yeah, I'm pretty. Bummed. And they managed to do this without touching their farm system, which I really like. Yeah, that's. that's like, I mean, the 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 whole winter meeting, everything. Part of that is that they literally acquired all these players. Well, you know, we'll get to everybody and and as as we move on here, but they were literally able to improve the team exponentially, not just a little bit, but you know, they they basically the I feel like the they yeah they um upgraded at a few spots yes uh, without replacing like without adding anything you know just in in like one for one swaps mm-hmm. yeah because there's a world where they don't sign senga and they have to trade uh they have to trade someone for a pitcher and there's a world where they don't sign nemo Yes, exactly. Yep. And because Joel Sherman put in the post, the news, I don't remember which one he writes for, but Joel Sherman put in his, one of his articles that Beatty was up. Arizona was asking for Beatty for Alec Thomas. And like then that's a that's you don't touch the farm system. You just resign Nemo for money and you keep Beatty. You know, what I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the the ripple effects of being it's a big market move. Exactly. It's. It's, oh, we don't want to lose these impact prospects because Beatty and Alvarez are going to be on either the opening day roster or up very early. We need these guys to play for us. So we're just going to spend money instead of signing, instead of trading for someone to replace them. I like the sound of that. The big money Mets. Big it, market it, Mets. It's It has a nice ring to it. Yeah, for the first time ever, they're, or I guess they did when they had the Madoff money, but they're acting like they are from New York. <laughs> And not from Wyoming or something where they have like no market and no fan base and no TV revenue or anything. You have the you have the, the Nimmo family. Yes. It's just it's nice to see them understand that if you wanted they are they talk about sustainability a lot and spending money in the short term to cover up the losses so you don't have to trade Alex Ramirez for uh I don't know. You, you don't have to trade Beatty for Zach Gallen or something because you could just sign Senga. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. not that that would have been a bad thing. It's just now you have both. You have the pitcher and you have the hitter and you have the prospect. And all the costs at the end of the day is like 2% of the interest that Steve Cohen makes on his capital gains every year. Are you kidding me? He's going to make all this money back on the Mets themselves. <laughs> that's true. Like, that's true. It's almost like baseball is like profitable. Yeah, hmm. and and all these owners could stop like leaking to the media that they're poor and just sign people. Like the Braves are like we can't afford to pay anyone. Like they're not doing anything, and like Liberty Media puts their earnings in the they have to by law, and they made like half a million dollars last year. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing something online like. The, the last week, the Mets signed, you know, Verlander, Quintana, and and Nimmo to X amount of money deals. Meanwhile, the Braves and it's like basically half their roster are paying, you know, half of that for half their roster, and it's just like, okay, and it's like, oh well. Yeah, it's like cool. Did you do anything with the savings? Right. Yeah, no. Exactly. <laughs> you have you have the same team. Well, it's not off season not done yet, but right now they have just. A, a worse team than they did last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, even with all those guys signed, like good for you, but Vaughn Grisham's your shortstop right now. Well, let's hope that they remain uh, bad because we don't want them improving. 
Yep. All right. So the winter meetings um, started on sun last Sunday. I don't think anything actually happened that day. Um, but Monday the 5th, there were some minor moves that may turn out to be more than minor. Uh, the Mets signed Sean Reed Foley and Tommy Hunter to minor league contracts. They were both acquired in 2001. Sean Reed Foley was in the Steve Matz trade before the season. And then Tommy Hunter was acquired in the Rich Hill trade that was around the deadline. Jeez, and, I forgot about that. Yeah. Reed Foley was mostly ineffective when he was at the major league level. And then he had Tommy John surgery at the start of last year. So that was kind of the end of that. And Tommy Hunter was good. And he dealt with some injuries, some pretty severe back injuries, actually. But he he powered through everything. Um, Sean Reed Foley probably is just going to be a depth move for Syracuse, especially since he's just going to be, you know, coming back from Tommy John surgery uh, towards the beginning of the year. So who knows when he'll be like fully ready, ready. Obviously, he's not going to just be thrown into the the deep end in the Mets bullpen. Yeah. Um, Tommy Hunter, though, is probably going to be making the major league bullpen, I would assume. And, you know, he was good. So it is definitely a, a, a solid move, basically resigning him for nothing. Yeah, that's yeah. no risk with Tommy Hunter. Either, honestly, with either of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Wednesday the 7th, which was the last day of the winter meetings. Uh, super, super, super busy day. So first up, they acquired Brooks Rayleigh, left-handed pitcher from um, Rays in exchange for left-handed pitcher Kishon Askew. And from a baseball move, from from a baseball point of view, good. You know, yeah. it's a good. Rayleigh is a left-handed specialist who's not completely helpless against right-handers. And that's basically more or less what we would have hoped that Askew developed into. So basically. This move is, you know, cashing in a chip that could develop into something down the line for that exact same thing right now. Just, you know, right now. <laughs> they should so, be able to find another Keyshawn Askew in the draft. Yes. I mean, he's I, I don't want he, he's he's very unique, but I don't want to say he is, you know, unique, unique. Um, yeah. But like, from a sense. Yeah, I like them, though. <laughs> Yeah, from a sentimental point of view, it kind of sucks because, you know, A, it's just, I think, easier to root for homegrown guys. And B, he's kind of a fun pitcher to watch. His mechanics were all kooky. And C, Rayleigh is kind of a dick. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as I, I don't know. Just don't be a dick for in sure. public. If you want to be a dick, keep your dick to yourself. That goes for a lot of <laughs> a lot of different occasions, <laughs> and that's, this is definitely one of them. That's that, that's quote of the uh, of the podcast right there. <laughs> and so basically, after that, a little bit after that, like maybe an hour, two hours, whatever, uh, it was announced that Jake Mangum was the player to be named later in the trade that brought back Eliezer Hernandez and Jeff Brigham. And I said on the show a couple of weeks ago when me and Lucas were talking about it, I didn't even realize at first that there was a, a player to be named inclusion. And I was like, oh, shit. And I got a little nervous. And lo and behold, damn, it was Jake Mangum. And it's irrelevant now because obviously, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And, and the trade is complete. He was ranked 18 
on our top 25 prospect uh, going into uh, 2023. Yeah. So I mean, he's Travis Jankowski pretty much, which is useful. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this was more um, would be more of a thing in the past you know, during the Wilpon era, the old, the Wilponian, Aldersonian era of Mets. But, you know, yeah, for sure. you would want to be fiscally smart when you're building around the margins and not overpaying for guys like Travis Jankowski and Kevin Pillar and Kevin Kiermaier and, you know, guys like that. And Jake Mangum would have been a very good guy to slot into that kind of role for basically nothing. But in the era now where Steve Cohen is literally throwing around billions of dollars, like eh, if they overspend on a fourth outfielder that they have to go outside and acquire, you know, it's not the end of the world. I could see them also um, just they seem to be doing better with getting priority NRIs around camp and stuff now. Like mm-hmm. the Mets used to be really bad with that, where they would always get these like obviously bad players. <clears throat> But last year they did a lot better with the NRIs and like this is a, another year of the front office being more established and the team is obviously really good. So I wouldn't be surprised if people want to come here as like, hey, I could be a fourth outfielder for the Mets. Like there's a lot of guys now who are like looking for starting jobs and they won't be able to find them and you'll be able to sign them that way. Like you could get a Chad Pinder type, you could get a Brian Anderson type. There's a lot of things you can do to fill that fourth outfield spot. And losing Mangum is losing an option, but also I wouldn't have let that stand in the way of getting pitching depth, which they needed way more. I would have, because I love Jake Mangum, but it is what it is. I know. But yeah, the Mets definitely need to pick up a fourth outfielder guy, because, um, you know, if you look at the Syracuse roster, basically... Well, it's, it's pretty empty. Like, literally, it's pretty empty. Um, if literally the season started tomorrow, I mean, obviously, it's you know, a stupid thing to say because it's not. And obviously, they are going to be signing a bunch of guys and inviting people, whatever. But right now, you have, you know, Nemo is the center fielder every day. You have Marcana and Sterling Marte in the corners. You know, we would assume that Jeff McNeil will get the occasional start out there. Maybe if they want to get creative to get everybody's bat in the lineup too, you could say Brett Beatty might make the occasional start in the outfield. But I could see that happening. With the exception of Nimmo, none of those guys are particularly good defenders at their positions. And, you know, the first option right now would be, I guess, Khalil Lee. And, you know, he's a, he's a solid defender, but we all saw what happened at the plate when he got his chances last year, so... Yeah, and, Not and none of those three guys are are, are are pictures of health either. Nimmo no, was last yeah. year, but he has an extensive injury history. Marte was hurt a lot last year, even though he mostly played through it and was solid when he did anyway, outside of the end of the year where he couldn't really play anymore. And Canada, they needed to load manage. So mm-hmm. They just need a solid guy to be able to be out there for a few times a week because they might end up playing a few days in a row, swapping around the outfield spots, you know? Yep. 
And before we move on now, um, I just need to mention this because I don't know how I never noticed this. But I was, you know, looking at his stats and, and everything. And Jake Mangum at MSU, where he went to college, you know, four years and everything, he hit a cumulative 357. So he's a 357 Mangum. <laughs> that like what are the odds of that that's crazy I don't, I, that's so funny <laughs> that's like like a couple of weeks ago when we saw like the the two guys in brooklyn hit basically almost identical stat lines like what mm-hmm. the hell is going on with mets affiliated players right now guys i don't know lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. And the last big hoo-ha that took place during the winter meetings was the Rule 5 draft. Mets made a selection. They picked right-handed pitcher Zach Green from the Yankees. Um, he spent last year with the Scranton Wilkes by Railriders. He posted a 342 ERA in 68.1 innings, mainly the bullpen. Uh, allowed 51 hits, he walked 32, and he struck out 96, which is actually second on the team. So that's pretty crazy when you think about it, that a reliever was second on the team in strikeouts. Um, stuff on a topical level, you know, so-so. It's a it's a low 90s fastball, low 80s slider, change up against lefties. Nothing that looks particularly exciting to the unlightened. But then when you look under the hood, and Lucas did the legwork here, um, Green's fastball, it has a high spin rate. It comes in at a low vertical approach angle, and that is basically why you know he's able to to rack up the strikeouts. So obviously there's some control and command issues. You know, 32 walks in 68.1 innings is not great. But if if he didn't have uh warts, then he would not have been available and he would have been yeah. on the on the Yankees 40 man roster. So I have no complaints with the with the pick. You know, it's it's like we were saying that there's always there's there's certain types of molds that Rule Five players always come in, and he is you know the wild relief pitcher mold. And you just honestly, he could he could uh, he could um, make the Mets. I think. Yeah, I mean, like he could he bull, could actually make the team. The bullpen, bullpen. is has a lot of open spots and a lot, a lot, a lot of wildcard guys. So if he has a strong spring training. It's definitely not a, a lot of times I'll be like, man, there's not really a shot with a rule five guy, even if you're taking him. But that one, like just with the deception in his fastball and 
his strikeout numbers and his whiffs in mo- all, most of his pitches because there's obviously some deception with his motion. Like, because I was watching him a little bit, I could see him making the being the last guy in the pen and them seeing if he has any long term viability in major league mm-hmm. games instead of doing it in spring, you know. Mm-hmm. You would hope and you would assume also because it is, you know, the middle of, of uh, December, you would assume that the Mets maybe add another solid reliever, possibly two, you know, guys that can be de- oh, yeah. don't don't need to be great, but guys that could be depended upon. And yeah, I, could, you know, I think they're going to sign other people. <laughs> let's hope. Um, you know, assuming that they do, you know, a, a guy like this does not need to come in in high leverage situations until he shows you a reason why he should. And, you know, as a rule five pick, if he doesn't, you just kind of can can cut the rope and say, OK, whatever. And no harm, no foul. It's, it's not a quick it's not a far trip for him either, which is nice. You know, he gets to stay in the tri-state area. That's true. Scranton is a, it's about a two and a half hour drive, something like that. And it's it's a simple drive though, so. Um, and then they also made a bunch of selections now in the minor league phase. Um, they made four picks in total. They got right-handed pitcher Wilkin Ramos from Pittsburgh. They got outfielder Augustin Ruiz from San Diego. They got infielder Jonathan Arauz from Baltimore. And they got infielder Mateo Gill from Colorado. Uh, Ramos, he pitched for Loe Bradenton. Last year, he posted a 388 ERA, 51 innings out of the bullpen. He allowed 50 hits. He walked 32 and he struck at 58. Uh, fastball sits in low 90s, tops out in the mid 90s. And then he has a below average slurvy kind of slider and a changeup. And he also has below average command, so I don't expect greatness <laughs> from him, even at, at in a minor league uh, setting. Yeah. Um, Augustin Ruiz, he split his season with High A Fort Wayne Tin Caps and then the Double A San Antonio Missions, and he hit 227, 334, 399 in 86 combined games, most of them in right field, with 10 home runs three stolen bases and 36 walks to 77 strikeouts. And he's a guy does not have any particularly loud tools, but everything across the board is, you know, fringe average to average or so. So you know, he's a, he's a balanced guy, but nothing actually stands out as good. And this is just a symptom of the Mets, the Mets's system where yeah. it is just devoid of, outfielders and they need outfielders and he plays the position <laughs> exactly you know he's he's a you know not to take anything away from him maybe he'll surprise in in a new setting but he he's just a body and they need bodies um jonathan arrows and he's a guy who's like wait a minute i know this name yeah i know how is he, <laughs> how is he being selected in the minor league portion of this um but he was signed almost a decade ago in 2014, and how is 2014 almost a decade ago? That's actually the, the craziest That's the worst part. thing you've ever said yeah, on this podcast. Yeah, I know. Even, even worse than keep your dick to yourself? Yes. That uh, is. But 
he was in their system for about a year after signing with them, and then he got traded to Houston, and his his time there got off to kind of a uh, a bumpy start because literally almost immediately after he was traded, he got suspended for methamphetamines. So, whoops. But as one does. Had, yes, as one does when going from Philadelphia to Houston. Um, he ended up spending basically the entire you know second half of the decade with them. And he eventually got claimed on waivers by the Red Sox. And he spent the last three years bouncing up and down, um, getting marginal time in the major leagues, and then playing at AAA Wooster. And then he got claimed by the Orioles this past June. And same thing, he got a little bit of time on the major league roster, and he spent most of the time on the Norfolk Tides, the AAA team. He also dealt with injuries this year, which is why he didn't play much. And why his numbers were particularly, particularly abysmal. And he's not a good hitter to begin with. So, you know, when your light hitting infielder is hitting bad, then that's like really, really bad. Yeah. But, you know, same thing. He, you know, he's uh, an infielder. Could probably really play anywhere in the infield, including shortstop. But he's probably a little stretched shortstop. But he's just a guy with a bat that occasionally can hit the ball and more often than not can field the ball. This will help Syracuse, just with depth stuff. Mm-hmm. And the last one of all these four guys, Mateo Gill. He had some injury issues this past season. Um, he got into 48 games with the high A Spokane Washingtons. Uh, uh, <laughs> Spokane is in Washington. Spokane Indians. And he hit 247, 305, 408. With two home runs, no stolen bases, and 15 walks to 48 strikeouts. So he was drafted by the Cardinals in the third round of the 2018 draft. So he is definitely the guy that has the highest um, uh, prospect pedigree here. And he was traded to Colorado in the Nolan Arenado trade. And as recently as 2021, he was actually a top prospect in the Rockies system, as he was in the Cardinals system. But... A, it was back end, you know, I'm talking like 20, I think like 24, 25, something like that. And he also fell off last year because he really, you know, it's been a couple of years and he just has not developed. Uh, he's a big athletic guy. He's listed 6'1", 180, probably is actually closer to 200, you know, looking at some recent video. But he has a bad swing, so makes a lot of bad contact that results in ground balls and he strikes out a lot. Does he does have a good arm though, a strong arm, um, shows good range, good reaction times, so he could uh, play shortstop unless you know some other uh, um, tool steps takes a step forward though. That's probably like, the only thing that he has to hang his hat on is that he could play shortstop. But you know you need guys, and that is something that the upper levels of the Mets minor league system just did not have. He he popped for me in an OOTP uh, franchise once, so. Oh hell yeah, nice. He it was one of those like uh, I don't remember which one. It, I was probably the Rockies, but he just like had one of the random huge potential upgrades and got really good. Mm. And I was like, ooh, okay. And then I I, I I remember the name from that when I saw that when it, <laughs> when I saw him he got drafted up. I was like, oh yeah, OOTP legend for me. Nice. Well, he's hoping then some of that good karma can go into the actual guy because that would be nice for him to uh, suddenly become a, a 
dude and maybe help the actual Mets? Just give him whatever swing change my my fictional people must have given him. <laughs> Your fictional people should have given him some of... Uh, uh, what's his name? They should have given him some of Avarus's methamphetamines. <laughs> but, um, you know, circling back to what we were saying at the beginning... You know, the Mets, all these guys are going to be improving the Mets minor league situation. They're not going to be moving the needle very much, maybe, most likely. Possibly they could, but, you know. But the Mets system as a whole is is slightly improved. And then the Mets at the major league level have improved exponentially without having to trade a single player and without having to lose a single draft pick. Yeah, they're gaining draft picks. Like they're gonna get yeah. one from they're gonna get one from Bassett too in a few weeks or whenever he signs. Because mm-hmm. he's unless he waits until whatever it is to whatever the, the the limit is to not get one. I don't remember what it is, but I think it was before the draft, like something like that. That's so long. It's just missing an entire season at this point. So he's not yeah. doing that. It's unfortunate that they didn't extend the qualifying offer to Taiwan Walker. Because they, I they don't even know if he gets that deal though if they don't extend it and yeah, he might accept a, it and then they don't find Senga so like I feel like that one kind of makes more sense Bassett was a no brainer because he was always going to say no and he's yeah. always going to get signed anyway I think feel he's, like Walker's a bit of a he's a good he, he's a guy that he's a little on the oldest what is what is Chris Bassett like 33 yeah mm-hmm. I mean he's he wants his last you know long term short term deal to just ride out and retire and thank you goodbye whereas walker yeah 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 walker on the other hand you know he's been kind of erratic and with his health and performance on the field so you never know and he's he's also the kind of guy that similar to like a conforto situation last year if he does get the qualifying offer well that kind of turns him off to a lot of other teams because he comes with that attached and you know they're they're more willing to look in other avenues to fill whatever need that they yeah. have for pitching, and then the player gets screwed. Heyman leaked that that um the qualifying mm-hmm. offer mattered for Walker's market, mm-hmm. the lack of one. So this has definitely been the most exciting week. I mean, did Verlander sign this week too? I think it was. He was on. It was on Monday. I don't yeah, it was know. Monday morning. Yeah, so this last work, week, so I didn't. <laughs> I remember that. This last week has been one of the most exciting weeks in. Uh, I don't even know. Maybe as long as I can remember, like as a like Cohen buying fan. the team. Yeah, like, Cohen buying the team is up there too, just because of the. That's like a full long scale change. But this is like as player acquisitions goes, it's Lindor getting traded here and then. Yeah. It's like Lindor getting traded here and then getting traded here again the next day and then getting traded here again like three yeah. days later. <laughs> it's like getting traded several Francisco Lindors. Yeah. Scherzer was up there too for me because that felt like it wasn't going to happen. It felt like the Mets were never really in those sweepstakes and then they suddenly were. Where 
when the Mets lost the Grom, it was kind of like everyone was like, oh, well, they're probably just going to sign Verlander. This is what they do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is that, so funny to think about. That is something I was – I forgot who I was talking to about that, but it's such a weird thing. It's like the Mets literally signed arguably the greatest pitcher of this generation, or if not the greatest, one of maybe two or three guys that would be in that conversation. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm hyped. Them. I'm happy. They signed Verlander, but okay. Like, that's and what they do. You're right. It's like any other any uh, any other point. Um, you know, 10 years ago, imagine the Mets signed Justin Verlander. Are we going to be like, oh, cool. We'd be losing our fucking minds. Oh, yeah. And uh, everyone's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> right, right. It's like, wow. <laughs> what, quickly wake up, those... Billy. <laughs> wake up, Billy Epler. It's uh Someone just signed in, in it, Jace Peterson just signed in Oakland. What are you doing? <laughs> sleep at the wheel. Actually, no, I think that was our prior GM was asleep at the wheel. Oh, yeah. Well, what a crazy week this was. What a crazy 200 uh, episodes we've had. And hopefully we have another 200 episodes left in us. If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Viper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at SaidMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from, rate and review. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.